Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 63. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. And I am Rob Burnett. He's still here, guys. And we're still going to talk about cults. We're not done with you yet. They drew me in, and then they shamed me. And <laughs> now I'm paying them $1,000 a day to be here. And I feel like I can't leave. <laughs> BJJ Mental Models basically is a cult. But we're one of the good ones, right, Rob? <laughs> yes, exactly. And actually, I think How are we a cult? We don't charge anything. We don't ask for anything. <laughs> that is true. If we are a cult. Yet. Yeah, yet, yet. Well, we'll Just get there. Just you wait. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, but actually, today we want to continue the topic of cults. And as you can tell from the last several conversations we've had, this is a topic that's near and dear to all of us. Uh, it is really important to me that we all stand for quality, accurate information, and we fight misinformation. And cults are a great example of misinformation. Now, in the last episode, we talked about how cults operate and how they manage to recruit people, what kind of tactics they use for deception. Today, we want to talk a bit more about why they do this, um, how people can deceive themselves into thinking that cults are maybe not so bad, and ultimately how you combat cults, how you get out of these organizations, or how you avoid people getting sucked in in the first place. Yeah, I, I think before we got to that, we were kind of going to discuss the uh, the influence continuum a little bit. Yeah, so Rob, you mentioned this this concept of influence continuum. Maybe yeah. explain a little bit what you mean by this. Yeah, so obviously I was doing a little bit of research on this stuff. Uh, and so the influence continuum flows from constructive to destructive and from healthy to unhealthy. And basically, it, like, these are just, it's kind of like a point by point thing that you can view for like for individuals, for leaders, for organizations so that'll help you decide, uh, you know, like we, we kind of addressed some of the, uh, uh, you know, the, the cult tactics in, in the previous episode. So these, these are more, these are, these are less about tactics and more about, uh, again, like it's, it comes from the, what's called the bite model, which stands for behavior, information, thought, and emotional control. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, for individuals. On the constructive and healthy side, you've got your authentic self, right? Like you're a person who's got beliefs about different things that you've come to over the course of a lifetime that you've reached authentically. They haven't been, it's not just like handed down information uh, that, that you just accepted. Maybe you've thought about it. Maybe it's come about through experience and all that kind of stuff. Uh, as opposed to on the destructive and unhealthy side, you've got like the fake cult identity where like your entire identity is based on well, and should, like entire identity would be in the really severe cults. Obviously, the lower you go down the severity level of a cult, the less your identity is made up by that cult. Mm -hmm. But having a really significant part of your identity be tied to this 
uh, is going towards the unhealthy side. Uh, you know, like uh, an example that I like to give, not that they're, you know, a, a cult in any way, but like people whose whole identity is I'm a fan of a you know, blank sports team. Those are not super well-balanced, like authentic individuals. They don't have a lot going for them, right? Like if that's your main ways that you identify as like, I'm a Rangers fan. It's like, dude, I do not want to have a conversation with you. Uh, so it would be the same thing about a cult. It's like this, if, if your identity is that, man, I'm an Apple guy, goddamn. Again, like avoid that guy in a, in a, you know, at the party. Um, and then going down the... Uh, I love my iPhone, by the way. I absolutely <laughs> love it. <laughs> You will uh, never take it away from me. Yeah. So, uh, you know, unconditional love versus conditional love, uh, compassion on the constructive side versus hate, uh, conscience versus doctrine. So like being able to think for yourself and actually act based on your conscience is one of the main things that is going to be taken away from you. The deeper you get into any kind of cult, you're going to be on the flip side so susceptible to doctrine, repeating doctrine, thinking based on doctrine, not able to make any decisions outside of the uh, the influence of the doctrine on your thinking. And the hate thing is an interesting thing too, because so many cults and cult organizations that use cult tactics, their strategy is to rally around a common enemy. And that enemy might even be an enemy that doesn't even exist. Sometimes yeah. it might be a real enemy. Sometimes it might not be. And as we talked about in the last episode, part of what a cult does is they try to place a wedge between the cult members and the rest of society. One of the ways that they do that is by creating a common enemy that you can rally around. This is a very, very common cult and marketing tactic, actually, yeah. is to create a common enemy to unite your group. Yeah, it, I mean, it's like people do not learn from history. Anytime a demagogue comes along and blames a, a certain group for all the problems in your society, like that's it. That is a hundred percent a cult. You are, if you follow that person, you are part of a cult. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. Yep. So we talked about hate. We talked about doctrine. What else? So on the positive side, and then like when we talk about kind of how we avoid falling into some of these traps at, at jujitsu schools, on the positive side, you've got creativity and humor. And on the negative side, you've got solemnity, fear, and guilt. So again, I would argue that if you're at a club that is overly strict about behavior in class, that is solemn, that is, you know, if you talk about like the self-defense schools where like, hey man, you know, we're training for serious shit here. Like shit's <laughs> going to go down. You're going to get mugged tomorrow. You're going to get raped tomorrow. Oh my God. Man, like that is just not going to happen, <laughs> right? So you're using fear to instill a, a solemnity uh, and instill guilt in people for stepping outside of whatever behavioral norms are established. Yeah, this is one of the things that I don't like about traditional martial arts or even even martial arts like judo. And I know that a lot of people love this. Like I yeah. know, I know a lot of people find that they get a lot of value out of the disciplined, rigid structure of a lot of these traditional martial arts, but I've just, I don't see it. Like I've, I've never really understood why this is valuable, why everything needs to be so rigid and structured. I think a lot of it is just a stereotype of what martial arts are supposed to be. I think in their head, when people think about martial arts, they think about all of these badass well, samurai lining up and being very let serious me, and so they want let that. Me, let me push back against that, and I just, just for the sake of being a devil's advocate. Um, I've got a friend who is very Catholic, but he just admits, he's like, I'm the kind of guy that I need something above me. I am too lackadaisical. I am too just all over the place on my own. If I were just left to my own devices, I would not have this. It would just, I would argue that, you know, you, by choosing to 
create something for yourself that serves this function, you actually do possess that within you. But again, whatever gets you there. So for people who really just do need that kind of like, like I'm not the most disciplined guy, so I need to go mm -hmm. to a place that has a lot of discipline because that will create discipline for me. I understand it. It's not me and it's not the sort of people that I would want to be around. Like if you need people to make you do like to yell at you and be a drill sergeant to be an effective human being, you're probably somebody with the kind of impulse control that, or lack of impulse control that I probably don't want to spend a lot of time around. Yeah, this is so, like a, this, this is not what I'm trying one. to. Yeah, but so like like again, it's not always that anybody who uh, is go, is going to a club for those reasons has it. Like, there's those aren't always bad reasons. The yeah, idea of needing discipline is a real thing for some people, and if it gets you from being a guy who can't put down you know the fork and gets you down to a healthy weight, and the only way you can do it is at a judo club that instills that kind of rigidity. That's cool. Well, that's the thing. There are so many organizations that create these routines and this discipline, and some people really, really benefit from it, right? Even if it's just a little ritual that you go through, some people really desire that structure. And I'm not going to go ahead and say that that doesn't work or that that's always a bad idea because I know a lot of people who they require that or they've really turned their lives around because of that. Yeah. Um, but where that does get risky, of course, is if part of that that structure and that routine requires you to just focus on obeying and not yeah. thinking and not challenging. So that's what gets into the next part of the continuum, which is on the constructive and healthy side, you've got free will and critical thinking. And then on the destructive, unhealthy side, you've got dependency and obedience. And so there's, there's a word that gets you, sorry, there are actually two words that get used a lot in martial arts, but in, um, in the sort of more pernicious types of jujitsu clubs in particular. And those words Honor. are... Yeah. Loyalty? Loyalty. Yeah. Hey, what do you know? Yeah. So the thing is... I'm a good cultist. Yeah. I, I know my shit. Yeah. So <laughs> honor and loyalty. And those words... Or, you know, some people use the word respect instead of honor, but usually it's honor. Because I think respect is good if we're talking about children Absolutely. who well, do need to learn in, things like that. Respect in general. Like, honestly, respect is maybe the most valuable currency in the world. If you treat somebody with respect, that mm. is one of the most valuable things that you can give them. Uh, yeah. So I like, would, You could even argue that economics and real currency are derived from, from respect. Yeah, respect and trust. Yeah, Currency yeah. is basically trust. Exactly. Yeah. So the, the idea is that when you have uh, these two words that people use, they're using them not for their actual meaning. They're using them as a substitute for obedience. And so this idea of having something be based on dependency and obedience is, again, super pernicious. It's a definite red flag. Yeah, I, I actually know a very dubious black belt who used to promote based on loyalty. That was one of his criteria was the loyalty. That's amazing. Of, I know, was the loyalty of his students. He'd actually you have to blow me. Yeah, he'd, he'd actually <laughs> get up and like do promotions being like, so, you know, loyalty is very important and that's why this guy's getting his strike today. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> really? Yes. Wow. I'll, I'll tell you who afterwards. All right. Yeah, so obviously bad things. Just, uh, just say it now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think we'll burn enough bridges with this episode as it is. With, with, with uh, back in the day when I first started, I, I got in trouble and I went to a different gym and I, I was at, the, what my instructor told me was, you, I, I think you need to really look at your moral compass. Yes. Because I went to train at another school and I was, yeah. like, I was like, 
moral compass what fuck you i'm out of here and i just left yeah. <laughs> like that Which was is the enough. right thing to do in a situation yeah. like that yeah i mean it was it, a text any... text message during thanksgiving dinner you he said you can no longer teach for me because you went and trained at this other school so i think you need to check your moral compass wow yeah. i think you need a new instructor yeah, yeah. <laughs> people, i mean any martial love... arts instructor that prattles on about morality to people man yeah. Yeah. yeah again people love to do that because it's hard to refute right like if i give you facts you can refute facts but if, if i just make a statement about morals or loyalty, I can attack your character without giving you a way to defend yourself. So that's part of the reason why people like to use that strategy of saying, oh, you know, you need to be loyal or you were disloyal in this situation. I think anyone who's like weak-minded or drawn into the cult mentality might fall for that. Definitely. But, that's but me, part of how like, it happens. Like, I guess the, the, the whole cult wizardry or whatever, my loyalty wasn't strong enough where I would just blindly like, okay, I'll do what you say. I was like, what are you doing? Like, I'm going to but part I'm an of the, adult. But part, so part of the tactic, like that may have been an intentional tactic to separate you from the group, not in the way of like drawing you further in, but like this guy is thinking for himself a little bit too much. Let's get him the fuck out of here before he infects some of the other Possibly, people. Possibly. So yeah. that, is, that is an interesting thing about cults. Like we talked in the last episode about how cults often have this weird, crazy mythology that sounds totally insane, right? And you think... How could a rational person actually believe this? But like, I mean, how can a person really truly believe that like Hicks and Gracie's fight record is 400-0-0? How can someone <laughs> actually believe that? And I think what it comes down to is they don't actually care if you believe it or not. They care that you don't question it because that is an act of dominion, right? Like yeah. if I can get you to believe that like well, I can read your emotions with orange juice and electricity or something, yeah. it doesn't matter if you actually believe it. What matters to me as the cult leader is that you'll eat any shit well, that so I feed this you. Is, <laughs> this is what uh, is hilarious about, you know, certain political leaders nowadays where it's like, people are like, can't you tell that that person's lying? Can't you tell that they lie all the time? Yeah, they're doing it on purpose. They're doing it to show that they can make up ridiculous bullshit and it doesn't matter. That's mm -hmm. how much power they have. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a power play. It's, it's not about trans. Exactly. That's the thing. Some people think that you're talking, you're talking about transparency, but what they're really talking about is power. You're playing two different games, yeah. right? And I think that's where people, especially in politics, get confused about this kind of stuff because they think it's about being honest and about being transparent, but that is not the game that the politicians are always playing. No. So the, for going further down the influence continuum, if you're talking about leaders as opposed to the individuals in an organization. Uh, so know, these are the characteristics of like the person running the group? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, on the, on the one side, on the constructive healthy side, you've got, you know, psychologically healthy individuals. On the destructive unhealthy side, narcissistic and psychopathic. And if you're not educated on narcissistic or psychopathic tendencies, Turn on the TV. You'll see lots of examples. Uh, in the constructive and healthy side, somebody who knows their own limits. On the destructive side, elitist and grandiose. Uh, on the healthy side, empowers individuals. On the unhealthy side, power hungry. On the healthy side, trustworthy. On the unhealthy side or destructive side, secretive and deceptive. And then on the constructive and healthy side, you've got accountable, and then on the unhealthy and destructive side, claims absolute authority. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, to summarize all of this, like basically you're talking about like a greedy sociopath on one side yeah. versus like a, someone who on the other side would be like a servant leader, right? That would be kind of what you're looking for as good characteristics. Mm -hmm. We'd be like a traditional servant leader, someone who is in that role to support their people versus someone who is in that role to serve themselves. Yep. Yeah, but, but it's, it's not as simple as that. I think that because you can be a servant leader and still have, uh, you know, like 
narcissistic or like grandiose tendencies. Uh, whereas servant leaders that take it upon themselves to make sure that people under their, you know, whether it's, you know, in the military command or in, in civilian life under their influence or, or their employees or whatever, uh, or you know, not the clients should ever like, and it's something we can talk about uh, later, but like the idea is that a servant leader who doesn't use any kind of elitist, grandiose notions and makes sure that the people in his circle uh, or under his command, again, if we're talking military, uh, know that there are people more knowledgeable, more experienced than they are. Yeah. There, yeah. There are people that are like, Hey, I'm pretty good at this, but there are other people that are better than me at this. Yeah. A sign of a good leader is that they, rather than looking for like staff that they can basically control rather than trying to like find lieutenants that they can control they find lieutenants who can fill the holes that they themselves cannot like holes in their knowledge and then they expect those people to challenge them that's what you want out of a leader yeah. one of the interesting things about cult leaders is that a lot of the time they don't think they're cult leaders like they've you know they've they've created this organization and maybe they had very good intentions but they kind of started using these tactics because they found that they work and they, like i don't think most people get into like creating cults because they sat down one day and decided you know what i need to do i need to create this cult yeah. that's good, that's what i want to do with my life so uh, i have a really good example of that uh, because in my you know journey as a martial arts club owner i've tried to take advice from anybody that was successful in the field and you know not just jujitsu but like martial arts in general people who had a a long time history of success in the martial arts excuse me in the martial arts business and one of the things that you get told by some uh yeah, you know, whether it's marketing experts, like there's a lot of like business consulting stuff that gets uh, thrown out there. Uh, and I'm not sure if we actually touched on this when we talked about business ethics, but there's a, a notion that gets thrown around, which is like, hey, you know, you think you're a good instructor, right? I'm like, yeah, I think I'm a pretty good instructor. Do you think that the other instructors, you know, around you are as good as you? I'm like, well, I, I know for a fact that they're not as good as me, but the, uh, you know, they work you up to this idea that's like, basically, if you think that your service is good and you think that it's beneficial to people, you owe it to the you have public. A duty. You have a duty yeah. to get as many people into your gym as possible. You have a duty to do that because otherwise you're failing them. And as soon as you buy into that, they've got you because then they can use that, which gets into the, like some of the organizational stuff on this, um, on this influence continuum. They've got this, uh, so one of them is that the ends justify the means. Yeah. And this, as soon as you have that, now you're on that destructive side of the continuum. And if, you're in a, if, you, if your organization sells the idea that the ends justify the means, that's a, that, then you know you've, whether wittingly or unwittingly, you're starting to create a cult. Yeah, that's one of the things that is very, very dangerous when you're creating a, a cultish organization. And yeah, I think that, you know, a lot of the time with these kinds of organizations, there isn't some big kickoff sit down meeting where everyone just decides we're going to build a cult and we're going to exploit all of these people. It's yeah. like, no, these organizations just grew organically into this. Into this, yeah. They chose let those me, methods. Let me go through the yeah, list and they just believe. quickly. Uh, so on the organization side, you've got egalitarian on the healthy side and elitism on the unhealthy side. You've got checks and balances on the healthy side, authoritarian structure on the bad side. Let's just say bad and good. Um, informed consent on the good side, deceptive slash manipulative on the bad side, individuality and diversity on the good side, clones people on the bad side, 
We all have to wear the same uniform. Mm-hmm. Uh, means create end on the good side. Ends justify means on the bad side. Encourages growth on the good side. Preserves own power on the bad side. I mean, the examples of that in as far as like martial arts instructors yes. are just, you know, there's a litany of them. If you... If your students can't beat you up, if you're not training them to beat you up, and if you don't get to the point where they do beat you up and you're not happy about it, then you're absolutely a cult leader. Yeah, the, be- uh, the best day for a, for a true martial arts instructor is when one of their students beats them. That absolutely. should be something that you celebrate, not something that you're ashamed of. Absolutely. And yeah. then the last one is free to leave versus no legitimate reasons to leave on the bad mm-hmm. side. So that's yeah. organizationally how you can start to recognize that you're dealing with a cult. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. I mean... <sighs> The, the thing about a lot of these cult tactics is that they, they can start off, you know, we're talking, we talked earlier about like boiling the frog and how initially maybe things don't seem that bad, but then there's a continuing escalation of commitment. And I think that a lot of the organizations, when they build up, they probably start that way. Like they probably start quite reasonable, but then they radicalize themselves over time. You had a very good example of like some of these marketing hucksters who basically say, your product is so good that you have a duty to sell it to people. This is my favorite type of marketing cult, by the way. It used to be that like there were these marketing cults and like multi-level marketing schemes where they would use these dirty tactics to sell. But now a lot of them actually, these dirty tactics are the product. Like they, they will package up their method and sell you that method so that you can then use that method to build your own cult. It's like a cult in a box. Um, yeah. Well, that's what, I mean, some of these business consulting marketing programs that are sold to, uh, jujitsu club owners are just that. They are absolutely exactly. that. They are these tactics in a box. I mean, Lloyd Irvin's Millionaire Masterminds mm-hmm. program was that. I think it's been taken over by someone else now. But they absolutely use these things. But the the irony in that case is they're they're selling you something that actually works. <laughs> like they're selling you a legitimate product because the the knowledge well, required I, the, to I don't think anyone works. would claim so this is why like i wouldn't say that the like with these business consulting things yeah they absolutely do work i don't think there's any argument that they work how they work and how long they work for yes yeah. that can be argued because you're all whenever you take a dishonest approach to success you're like somewhere along the line you gotta pay the piper it's like right? there's like, a shelf life to it yeah exactly there's a there's a shelf life to that that when and when it expires it, it can go bad really like you know, ultimately, in we can always we can give examples where shitty companies manage to survive long enough. But we're talking about macro. We're talking about like you know you you get rich enough that you can influence the government. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking about small businesses, the, it, there's definitely a shelf life with using these kinds of tactics. People will find out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially if you're like a a fake black belt, or you know, if you're a black belt who's gets uh, embarrassed by, you know, if they, if they roll with like a blue belt and they get tuned up and people yeah. see that it, the whole thing comes crashing down pretty quickly. If your students catch wind of that. I don't know, man, Ari's still in business. So maybe, <laughs> maybe we're just wrong about this. <laughs> yeah. Maybe take all of this with a grain of salt because there is some evidence to the contrary. Yeah. Uh, Again, so, but this is a, like, you know, since we're, since we're talking about people who are vulnerable to like bad ideas and bad arguments, individual examples do not disprove the argument. Yeah, so like yeah. when we joke about, you know, this one guy or when, uh, you know, when Matt mentions that uh, Cub Swanson blew his knee out, like to a moron, that invalidates the argument. 
Yeah. Whereas, yeah, they're, they're just they're not understanding the nuances of, of argument. I actually, I'm, I'm tempted at some point in my school to put up a logical fallacies poster so that people can start actually understanding yeah. how badly they're being hosed. Well, this is actually very common in, I find, in training, especially with newer people. They will see that something didn't work one time and then they'll just assume that because there was one counterexample, it will never work and they'll yeah. just discard it, right? That kind of or like- Or the flip side is the, the, the false positive, which stuff works because you're doing it on people who are really unskilled or inexperienced or, or, or any like myriad reasons that it, it might've worked other than, hey, this is legit and works against high level guys. Yeah, yeah. And it really, when we talk about cult tactics, like the primary purpose of a lot of these tactics is to shut down the faculties in your brain that involve critical thought, right? Basically, yeah. it is about influencing you in such a way that you are no longer a an independent agent making your own decisions, but now the cult makes the decisions for yeah. you. And, and so the thing that we like mentioned, we talked about how you know it's real things, real achievements are difficult. Mm-hmm. Critical thought is difficult. And I don't just mean it's difficult in the sense that like you have to educate yourself. It takes time to actually know about rhetoric and about uh, how people use influence and logical fallacies and cognitive bias and all that kind of stuff. It, it takes time to educate yourself about that sort of stuff. Most people cannot recognize a fallacious argument. I mean, the fact that so many like YouTube fucking pundits exist and people don't just like laugh them out of the room every time they speak. Like, you know, the, I'll, I'll give an example. The What's that fucking clown? Crowder. That guy's a walking, like, logical fallacy. Every argument he makes is fallacious, pretty much. But he's got... Well, to be fair, he's, like, I think that he's not trying to make solid logical arguments. He's a comedian, right? (laughs) Yeah, comedian. Tell that to his fans. Anyway, uh, the idea is that it's hard to think critically because it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's not just the skill of yeah. thinking critically. And where it's you have to hard work. Yourself. It's hard work and it's uncomfortable because you will have to actually recognize, hey, I bought into some bullshit. I need to back the fuck out. And that's extremely difficult to do. It's mm-hmm. like, I think it was Mark Twain that said, it's much easier to fool someone than to convince them they've been fooled. Yeah. Once somebody has, once you have that buy-in, the odds that somebody will have the, I mean, let's just call it the guts, right? Like the, the, the honesty with yourself to be like, man, I got fucking suckered. It takes a real strong person to do that. And that's part of critical, critical thinking is actually sitting down and be like, damn it, did I? Because p- critical thinkers, just because like if you believe that you're a critical thinker and you go through life, you're like, man, I'm such a good critical thinker. I've never been fooled. I've never, yeah. I don't fall prey to cognitive bias. I know what cognitive yeah. bias is, so it doesn't work on yeah. me. I've if never been fooled. Yeah. It's like martial artists who are like, I have never, ever tapped out yeah. in class. But ever, it's the same thing. Ever, like if and you, I never will. If you think you're a critical, if you believe you're a critical thinker and you can't find an example of you going through a process of like, man, I was wrong about that and I was pretty far down the rabbit hole and I had to change my mind about something. And I believe, I had a belief that I held for five years and you know it took a lot of education and it was difficult for me to finally let it go and change my mind if you don't have that in your uh in your repertoire you probably aren't a critical thinker you're probably just doing the same thing that most cultists and conspiracy theorists do which is you're self-congratulatory about your unearned superiority and you're walking around like you're so fucking smart and you're like you're better than everybody because you wouldn't fall for this shit but the fact is you probably are falling for it somewhere in your life well this is a great opportunity to talk about exactly why 
these cults are dangerous and and not just like a like Scientology level cult, but even just a regular organization that maybe uses one or two of these tactics. Sometimes you look at these things and you think, well, they can't be that dangerous, can they? Like um, if I've got to wear a gi uniform and I have to pay the 200 bucks, that's not a big deal, is it? Well, one of the reasons, and this is what you just described, Rob, why cults are dangerous is because of cognitive dissonance. Yes. Now, this is a term that I'm sure almost everyone has heard, but it's actually a little bit tricky to wrap your head around it. So I'm going to try to explain it. Um, cognitive dissonance is basically when you retroactively change your beliefs to justify your actions. So basically, you did something that you're embarrassed about. So you try to justify it by changing your beliefs so that what you did actually well, I, makes I, sense. I, I think, as I understand it, that that is a response to cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance itself is the feeling of mental discomfort at new information. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Sorry, sorry, to be correct, cognitive dissonance is when your beliefs and your actions are not aligned. Yes. Like you, you did something that does not align with your feelings. And usually the way that people respond, especially if they're not critical thinkers, is they will retroactively change their belief system. So common example is like these... Or they will attack, a common way of um, reducing dissonance is to attack the source of the new yes. information. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Like if we, can we give a martial arts example? Mm, good question. Martial arts. Doing karate yeah. for 10 years. I think I'm a pretty badass guy. I walk into a jiu-jitsu club and I step on the mat and I get my ass kicked. I can admit that I just wasted 10 years of my life. But that's really difficult because now mm -hmm. I'm experiencing cognitive dissonance. I'm a smart person. I got into martial arts to learn how to fight. I spent 10 years doing it. I don't know how to fight. How do I reduce that dissonance? Mm -hmm. Yep. I could reduce the dissonance by saying that jujitsu is gay and in a real fight, I just kick you in the balls and you can walk out the door. Mm -hmm. The more, again, honest, self-reflective, critical thinker will go, damn, I spent 10 years going down a rabbit hole. It didn't give me what I needed. I'm going to go and do this instead. Yeah. And you know, when you see these guys who have been training like basically kata karate for like 30 years and they think they're just the biggest badasses. A lot of that is cognitive dissonance, right? It's yeah. because it's gotten to the point where they've invested so much of their time and energy into this and so much of their personal sense of self and their own identity is wrapped up in this idea of being this karate badass that challenging those beliefs would be unheard of. Like they just couldn't do it because they'd have to admit that their entire life was basically a lie. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. We, we talked about how one of the requirements of a cult is a continuing escalation of commitment. Yeah. And if you've been in this crazy cult organization for like 10 years and you've spent $10,000 on this organization and you're presented with evidence that maybe this cult is actually not in your best interests or that what they're teaching you is not true, most people due to cognitive dissonance will just double down on their beliefs. Yeah. Um, that's called the sunk cost fallacy actually where once you made, and that's tied to cognitive dissonance where once you've made enough of an investment in some, into something, it's painful to give up and a lot of people will choose to just double down yeah. because it, it's hard for them from an ego best example to admit I can, that they gave up. Best example I can lost. give of the sunk cost fallacy is, man, my relationship's not going so great. 
Should we split up? Nah, man, we've been together for two years. Let's, Let's move in together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hey, man, exactly. it's not going so great. Let's get married. Let's have a hey, kid. Hey, man, it's yeah. not going so great. This will fix it. Let's have a kid. Yeah, that's yeah. the sunk cost fallacy. Yeah. yeah, or like, you know, I've already invested $10,000 in this business. It's yeah. totally failing. But, you know, I've already put in $10,000. i got to put in another $20,000 now. And that'll really get it off yeah. of the ground. Those are examples of the sunk cost fallacy where you just continue to double down and refuse to just cut your losses. Yeah. Yeah, so um, another common issue. And just, just to, to like clarify the reason you're experiencing cognitive dissonance at that point and not just being like, Hey, let me just like $10,000, depending on who you are is a lot of money. But for people who are like investing and starting businesses, $10,000 is not a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So the actual value isn't necessarily what we're talking about. That's not what's causing you the discomfort. It's not, I'm going to lose $10,000 or 10 years, or whatever. It's mm -hmm. that I am the sort of person who fails. Yes. Yeah. And if they believe that, whereas smart businessmen, high achievers, people who are good at things, they're like, man, I tried something. It didn't work. I'm going to try the next thing and that'll work. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to try the next thing because I'm the sort of person who actually does the necessary work to be successful. I will be successful. I can tell that this isn't working. So let me pull the plug on it. Right? The reason people experience that cognitive dissonance is they literally just don't want to admit to being wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, another thing that you alluded to on the prior episode is something called the rabbit hole effect. Uh, this is a term that I believe entered the nomenclature relatively recently as a result of research that was done on YouTube's recommendation algorithm. Absolutely. Yeah. But it technically applies to almost anything, not just YouTube. And basically, the idea is... If I can convince you of one thing, I can then use that as a domino to convince you of other related things and get you to believe progressively crazier and crazier and crazier stuff. And that's how you get people to really buy into a cult, right? Is yeah. You start off with something that is relatively simple, and but it, that it's first... It's the same thing with conspiracy theories. Like the, yeah. the, uh, the usual um, like entry point to conspiracy theories is usually something pretty benign. Right. Like the, there are, it's funny when I was doing a little bit of research on this, it's like there are, tend to be like right wing conspiracy theories and left wing conspiracy theories, mm -hmm. although there's quite a bit of crossover between mm -hmm. some of them. Um, oddly enough, there are way more right wing conspiracy theories than left wing conspiracy theories, which is just kind of interesting. But, uh, yeah, like the idea is that the, the first one, people don't start out. No one's like, Hey, you know what? Flat earth, mm -hmm. right? Or lizard people or like whatever. They, no one starts out with that. It's always like, Again, on like the left-wing conspiracy theory side, it's like 9-11 truthers or mm -hmm. the anti-vaxxers, which is a little bit of a lower tier kind of conspiracy theory. Or like even just uh, any kind of like silly um, like alternative medicine stuff. Like there's mm -hmm. usually a little like an easier entry, yeah. entry point. Well, I can, I can give a great example, right? The way that the alternative medicine stuff usually takes hold is basically um, some some sort of practitioner, um, like a lot of the time it's like a naturopath or something. Or yeah. in, in fact, in some cases it can even be like a chiropractor. There's a lot of crossover in that community, but they will kind of try to fill the void that the healthcare system has failed to fill. Yeah. So a lot of the, the time there is someone who is disgruntled with the experience they had with the medical system and they'll find like a naturopath who just gives them the time and the attention that they weren't actually getting. And the yeah. naturopath sells the simple solution, right? Like we talked about this prior, the, 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 just, the simple secret technique that is just so deceptively sim simple that of course it would make sense. Look at how simple and obvious it is, yeah. right? Um, and then 
there, first of all, you know, it starts off small, but then it kind of escalates and escalates. And before you know it, like you're like listening to that stuff on goop and you're believing that like, in just these crazy things that are not provable at all. Yeah, um, man, we've been talking about cults for this whole time. Oh yeah. Goop is, goop is an incredible cult. cult. <laughs> yeah. You should, guys, you should totally look up goop if you have, I mean, I'm sure at this point, everyone has probably, I love become that candle aware of it. I guess we should probably talk about this because this is a very timely example. And it's an example of the, the rabbit hole effect. You start off believing something something a little bit innocuous. Like, look, if someone really wants to put like a jade egg in their vagina, do we really care? Well, that starts to matter then if people start to believe in Gwyneth Paltrow as a source for information over literally anybody else. Then you have a problem because then now this Hollywood celebrity who's totally uneducated can dramatically steer public opinion. So uh, that's... Yeah, like Jenny McCarthy with the whole anti yeah. So that's, If you want to see the, something cool, look up the Jenny McCarthy death count. There's an actual website that keeps track mm -hmm. of how many people that who have died because of uh, like anti-vaxxer hysteria, uh, and they credit it all back to Jenny McCarthy. Yeah, I remember and, when Jenny McCarthy and Jim Carrey went on that show yeah. and they gave this big speech about about vaccines. And it's like, um, yeah, that is where the stuff kind of gets dangerous. Like Jenny McCarthy is legit one of the bigger killers in the 21st century. Yeah, that that one moment. Or are we in the was, 22nd century? No, I forget how it goes sometimes. We're in the 21st. 21st it's it's yeah. one ahead of the okay. actual... Yeah. Yeah, there you go, yeah, yeah. 21st century. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but that's that's a perfect example because you started off with something relatively small and innocuous and then you go down the rabbit hole and eventually start to believe progressively da more dangerous things that you can justify based on the smaller things that you've already agreed and are the, true. The end result of these things is always, I don't believe in science, while they take out their cell phone and text their friend and... Which bounces yeah. off of cellular signals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. But those yeah. don't work because science doesn't work. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, a good example. Well, but that's why, like, ultimately that's why it's so dangerous because, uh, you know, human beings have been able to make the progress they've been able to make because they had an increasing understanding of reality. Every advancement in civilization has come about because we understood reality better mm -hmm. and we were able to make our lives easier and safer as a result. If we as a society no longer have a shared reality, then human progress will literally grind to a halt. Mm -hmm. Or there'll be like a group of people who decide that, hey, science is good and they'll create their own country and then fuck off and they'll be living like kings while everybody <laughs> else descends into fucking Lord of the Flies, which, you know, is happening. So if there's like science country, I'm moving there. Why don't we create it? <laughs> <laughs> that's, we, that's we can the next use step. these cult tactics to start it up. Yeah. What could go wrong? That's the next step on the, the ends justify the means. Yeah, that's on our roadmap now. The next thing is, you know, we've been talking about all of these cool things that we could do for our listeners. Maybe we should just create a country. Yeah. Um, it, this is actually an interesting tac tactic that salespeople use. Uh, you know, the art of the upsell, where if you want to sell someone a $30,000 car, for example, you don't necessarily sell them a $30,000 car. You sell them a fifteen or a twenty thousand dollar car, and then when they want, you say, "Hey, you know what? For an extra two, three thousand bucks, you can get those leather seats." It's only two, three thousand, or two or three thousand dollars. You've already committed to twenty thousand dollars. That extra little bit isn't that much more. Hey, you know what? If you, once you got those leather seats, now you can put, uh, you know, you can get heated chairs. That's only an extra thousand bucks. So that's the thing that people don't realize is that you're not selling someone 30,000 bucks in one big chunk. Yeah. You're starting small and then you're progressively incrementally adding onto that. And to the person who's being sold, they look at that and think, well, that's only an extra thousand bucks more. That's how these kind of crazy ideas sort of build up in yeah. someone's head. It starts small and then you upsell on top of that. 
As a guy who frequently shops for yeah. cars, this hits home really hard. Yeah. By, the, by the way, this is an intervention, Rob. The, Matt and the, I wanted to talk to you the, about this. The joke about Porsche is they'll sell you a car, but the wheels are extra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally everything is an option. But when you look at those like skeezy marketing tactics, this is basically part of what they do. Absolutely. They, um, I, I just was listening to an audiobook about this where they refer to it as stacking, where basically they've, they, they build up like this value chain of all of these things they're giving you and they progressively up sell and the goal is to ultimately convince you that you're getting ten thousand dollars worth of value for the price of one thousand dollars right it's all about yeah it's because that's how you stay in business yeah is by giving people ten thousand dollars worth of stuff for a thousand bucks but it's all about manipulating my jiu-jitsu classes are actually worth five thousand dollars a month i'm only giving them to you now for this low price of 159.99 yeah so, I mean, I hope at this point we've kind of convinced you that this stuff is indeed dangerous. And I hope everyone's clear on how these tactics work. I guess another thing that we can talk about is common objections, right? Yeah. Odds are every, everyone who is listening to this has experienced working with an organization or a group who has employed at least some of these tactics, right? That's just every organization does it. So just because your company like, I don't know, has a charismatic leader, that doesn't mean you're necessarily part of a cult. So we're not telling you that all of these groups are cults necessarily, but we want to make you aware of the indicators. And of course, the more of these that stack up, the more alarmed you need to be. Um, Let's talk maybe about some common objections. So now that we've presented you with this information, you're probably thinking something to yourself about like, oh, well, the group that I'm in, they, they couldn't possibly be a cult or maybe it's, it's not that bad. So that's actually a great one is that a lot of people will argue like my cult isn't, isn't actually that bad. We're one of the good ones. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and my Rob, cult isn't that bad. Yeah. And Rob, you, you <laughs> talked about this earlier, which is like, oh, well, you know, we're doing, yeah, maybe we use these tactics, but we're doing it for good. Yeah. Like that's a very, very common one is convincing yourself that this is a, a positive virtuous mission. Um, it just so happens to use these techniques because they're effective. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe your organization is positive and virtuous. The problem is if you've created a power structure that has no accountability and where people are not encouraged to think critically, then you can't guarantee that the next guy who replaces you is also going to be as virtuous as you were. And guaranteed, if you accrue enough power, you will stop being virtuous. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And yet, that's the other thing that you have to take into account is that your conduct is going to change as you accumulate power. It's just a side effect of how the brain works, right? Yeah. As you move up the hierarchy, your ability to relate to the people on the floor is going to change. So that's why these accountability structures are so important. So what can what can someone do as they as they're say a martial arts uh, business owner, as they gain more status, as they gain more students, their school grows, they have to get a bigger location mm-hmm. and they become more well-known how some good ways that they can just stay grounded well, as I, an individual, or I, does it come down to like their individual fu- character? Funny you say that I have a list. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think we'll, we'll get to that in a, in a yeah. bit, but yeah, really the, the big answer is that you need to create a culture where the leader is challenged. That's really the, the fundamental answer. Um, another objection that people will use is oh, cult is too strong a term for what I'm involved in. You yeah, know, so did, did you discuss like the, the rituals are for team building? Thing? No, the, that's kind of like a kind of tied into that. But yeah, yeah n- another example would be, Oh yeah, yeah, we've got all of these rituals and processes that we need to follow, but they're beneficial. They're for team building. Uh, yeah. So, you know, oh yeah, I know we bow to the master, but that's just because we want to show respect or yeah, yeah we wear the, the patches and we wear the uniform, but that's just because it's, it's part of the team building culture. And, you yeah. know, 
Um, but basically that that's bullshit, right? Like those, those rituals exist to show dominion over you and they exist to establish conformity. Yeah. Um, there really is no good reason why everyone needs to line up and wear the exact same and costume. If, and if the ritual is always something that puts more money in the leader's pocket, that's a red flag. That's a red flag. Yeah. yeah. Like, cause everyone has rituals and like, it's totally beneficial to do team building, right? Like it, you know, you and I have gone on how many trips to like tournaments, whether it's with a bunch of our students or like we've gone on trips together where like you're competing and I'm coaching. Yeah. And those are like, man, when we get back from one of those trips. It's the I, best time ever. It's, it is. It's <laughs> the best time ever. Like I never feel closer to, to you. I mean, I'm pretty close to you. You're like a brother to me. So, uh, but like I never feel more so like that than when we come back from something like that. And I, you could definitely say that that's like a team building thing. Like when we come Absolutely. back from an event, like, you know, um, we've got a tournament coming up in Seattle. I'm going to take, I don't know, half a dozen of my students down and we're going to get like, we're going to rent a house. We're going to hang out, we're gonna, all this kind of stuff. But that's a genuine team building thing. For one, mm -hmm. I'm not making money on that. It's costing me a bunch of money. Yeah, absolutely. You, like, you never ask for money. That's it's... the, like, that's a, a thing that should be like, if, if, if you want team building, if you want to create a team atmosphere, there's a way to do that where you're not like nakedly in, like enriching yourself. And hopefully you're not nakedly doing anything during your team building exercises. Cause that would be, well, you are nogi guys. I yeah. know that, um, you know, like, uh, one of the things that people will do that are like pretty, I think benign team building things is like, you know, have a team wing night where you go out and everybody go, or like team UFC night, you go watch the fights at the bar kind of thing. Like that's a pretty benign team building. Event. Yeah. 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 Team but if you're charging everyone to attend <laughs> that and you're the one that's profiting from it now, I don't think it's a good team building. Yeah. Team building rituals are very useful and very powerful. I mean, human beings are social animals. And for thousands of years, we've come up with these rituals to kind of bind ourselves together as a group. But there are differences depending on the motivation. I mean, for example, when you walk into class and you have to bow to, to Helio or Carlos on the wall, I personally don't view that as a positive ritual. I think No, that, I don't either. I think that that exists to establish dominion. But on the other hand, if after a roll, you slap hands and bump fists and say, oh, or whatever, like that's that's harmless. That's just a sign of respect. You're not establishing, you're not letting someone dominate you in any way, right? It's just, that's just part of what we do. Well, I think it depends how OS is used. If OS is used as a way to turn off your brain and always just like acknowledge the superiority of the teacher, I don't think it's so great. Correct. It's just correct. A, 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 it's used in so many ways. Yeah. It's yeah. used. It, it, like, it's like the F word of jujitsu. Yeah. It literally has a thousand uses. Yeah. And as, none as of them long are clear. as it's just a way of say, like, yeah, like I heard what you said. It's, it's totally fine. Yeah. So an another objection that people often come up with when you're, they're confronted about whether their organization is a cult is, hey, look, it's, it's harmless for me to play along with this stuff. Like, no, I, I don't, you know, I don't really care about Helio, but I'll bow to his picture. Or, you know what, I don't really care about having to buy the gi, I'll just pay for it. Like, it's very common for people to just kind of hand wave away the concerns here. Yeah. And that's understandable because a lot of these things don't sound inherently too bad or dangerous. But the problem is, as we've already established, no, and, and like no one of these things is a deal breaker. Exactly. Right? Like, oh, you got to bow to a picture. Well, if everything else about the place is great, yeah. well, then who gives a shit? Really? Yeah. You like, have friends there, and the training's good. Yeah. Yes. Like, let's not nitpick about this stuff. No. But the problem is that for every one domino they're able to knock over in your brain, it's yeah. easier to knock over the next one. Right. So the problem is, you start off with things being relatively harmless and relatively painless, but bit by bit, you can kind of get sucked in. So you have to always be aware of what you're being asked to commit to. And you have to understand that at some point, if too many of these cult tactics are employed, it may be too dangerous to stay around. You may be better off leaving.
Yeah, agreed. And, th- and that's a very difficult thing to do. Like, I, so again, I get a lot of visitors come through my school and I'll, there are a lot more clubs that are introducing uh, these mandatory uniform policies. And there's not a single person that I've ever talked to, whether it's visitors at it. my gym. Yeah. Or like out at tournaments, like there's not a single person in the community that isn't, you know, a school owner who's trying to profit from it. There's not a single student that's ever been like, yeah, I'm cool with that. They're like, at best, they're indifferent. But for the most part, they're like, no, nah, man, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Have you spoken up? Well, no. Yeah. Right. Have you left? Ashamed. Well, no. Yeah, well, exactly. But exactly. that's exactly what we talked about as a cult tactic. Like yeah. you've already been made the bitch in this situation. You've already yeah. demonstrated that you will wear their uniform and you will pay for it and you'll like it. Yeah. So at that point, it's clear who's in control and it's easier for them, them to then continue to upsell stuff. Once you've already paid $200 for a gi, you know, $50 for a stripe or $100 for a belt doesn't sound that much more unreasonable, right? It's a, there's an escalation of commitment there that, that a lot of these groups can employ. And I think that does become dangerous. So you have to always be aware of when someone is doing this to you, when they're trying to upsell you and escalate your, your commitment to the group. That is a very, very dirty marketing tactic and something that it, at some point you need to be aware and say like, look, I've committed enough here. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So Rob, you also wanted to talk about like how you combat these tactics. I I know that at your school, for example, you have some practices that you've specifically outlined to take these things into consideration and fight them off. Yeah. So one of the things we talked about, I believe in the, um, actually I'm not really sure because we recorded these back to back. So I don't, I'm not sure which (laughs) thing we discussed in the first episode and which thing we discussed in the second episode. But the idea is that if you think you are above it, if you believe you're a critical thinker, and you're not susceptible to this stuff. If you believe you're too smart to, or if you believe you're too virtuous to whatever, you're wrong. Yeah. The only way to prevent things like this happening is to have safeguards in place that are outside of your, uh, let's say whim. You know, like I own my club. I can change anything I want at any time. But if I establish enough protocols, if I'm put enough safeguards in place, then even I can't uh, defeat those safeguards, right? Mm-hmm. I, I can't circumvent these things. So, uh, yeah, like a couple of things that we do at our club. Uh, so the first one is just like the idea of a relaxed atmosphere and minimal ritual. Uh, for instance, we voted on whether to actually bow in and out of class. Like I, we sat down and I was like, listen guys, I don't even really like this. I think it might be a little bit too structured. And the response from everybody was like, honestly, man, if we don't have a thing, that's somewhat like formal or ritual, it's going to descend into chaos here. Mm -hmm. So let's actually keep the bowing because it allows for uh, like some structure. But the fact that you asked everyone to vote on it. Not only did I ask them to vote on it, I was like, I think I should get like, I'm leaning towards wanting to get rid of it. What do you guys think? And they contradicted me. And we went with their opinion. And that's a positive sign when you can contradict the instructor. Exactly. Yeah, it's funny. Like I actually have no problem with bowing onto or off of the mat because that shows respect. But totally, if, if, if I like, make you bow to a picture of my dad that's freaking weird yeah like i mean can you imagine if like you rob you came over to my house and i let you in the door and said hey why didn't you sit down and grab a, a glass of water oh by the way there's a picture of my grandpa on the wall <laughs> he, he's this mystical master who like invented this incredible system i need you to bow to him right now like that would be fucking crazy but yet that's what a lot of these schools yeah. do 
Yeah, so I mean, we do a lot of voting at our like people are encouraged to take ownership of their training. We have a skills development class where people come in and just work on whatever they want to work on, and I just come around and help them out. Like they, and, and I, I don't have to help them out. Like some guys come to the skills development class, they sit in the corner, they drill with their partner, they never even call me over. They're just there to do their own thing, mm-hmm. uh, and so we do like all sorts of stuff. We vote on the modules at the beginning of the month. Uh, we we offer a couple of different options, and we end up picking two modules for the two hundred one class. So there's a tremendous amount of encouragement for people to take ownership of their own training, right? That's something I think is really important. Um, the other thing we do is encourage people to cross train and experience mm-hmm. other gyms uh, and not only encourage them. That's I, good. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I tell my students that I will pay for your drop-in <clears throat> fee uh, specifically to go to the other club in town. I actually constantly like go experience the other because there's only one other club in our town. I'm like, go there. I want you to know the difference. Yeah, we actually uh, in the Vancouver area, this has been starting to happen a lot too, where in addition to encouraging people to cross train, there's kind of this casual program we've been doing where like black belts from other schools will come and visit and do different, like Matt, I know that you just did this. You just dropped in a Budo, I think, to do a mm-hmm. seminar. Yeah. So we've been trying to go even above and beyond just encouraging people to train and make friends outside of the gym, but also bringing in people from outside of the gym who are local. Like, and this is a thing that a lot of gyms might find scary. You know, it's one thing to bring in like Braulio Estima for a seminar because none of your students are going to go and like move to <laughs> train with them. But it's another thing to bring in the instructor who lives like 10 minutes away because that is a threat to the success of your gym, theoretically. Yeah. But in reality, I think it's actually brought our community together much more closely because now everyone knows everyone else and we're sharing knowledge more freely. Yeah. Well, that's a, sorry, go ahead. Man. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, well, that, that transparency, I think, is such a, a key component to uh, how an instructor conducts himself as a businessman as an and as a sort of a leader is be is saying, hey, like, I, I think I'm pretty good at what I do. I want you to go experience the other schools. I'm not trying to hide you, hide you from anything, shield you from anything. In fact, I think it would be beneficial if we all networked together and you guys met people from other schools as well. Yeah. And that's why those joint seminars or, or the uh, cross training seminars are super valuable. I found that like, uh, as a businessman, being authentic and transparent about your intentions mm-hmm. is one of the more powerful things that people respond yeah. really well to. Yeah, and Absolutely. there's nothing dirty about telling people when you just need to make money. Like that, this For is sure. the thing you yeah. should totally be transparent with students. And sometimes, you know, you might need to do something because you have to got to get paid and you got to feed your family, right? And it's okay to tell stu- if that is the case, if that is your true justification for doing something, it is not shameful to tell your students that. What is shameful is to lie and make yeah. a bullshit about how, no, this is for your own good. This yeah. is so that you will learn discipline and respect and be part of the team. And that's why you've got to pay 200 bucks for the gi. Like that's bullshit. Charging for stripes. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think it's pretty obvious when somebody is doing something because they're trying to elevate a community as opposed to just enrich themselves. Exactly. And I think that's something that people can take as like pretty obvious judgment is are, are you doing something because you want to contribute to the community mm-hmm. versus, yeah. Uh, so yeah, as we uh, go down the list here, um, so one of the things that I try to do uh, is undercut my perceived and real authority, uh, both in terms of how I discuss things in class, right? Like uh, it's very easy, especially again, like small town, not a lot of other gyms. Certainly we are 
like by far the better gym in town where like it's 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 not even close where like there are probably 20 people at my gym who are more skilled than the instructor at the other gym so like it's i don't know if that's true man i've heard that that guy can create an aura of pure testosterone <laughs> no that's not ari you're you're getting mixed up oh, okay yeah okay. No, no, this, this, that's not like i can't do that he's guy, not an alpha dog okay oh man well anyway <laughs> um <laughs> yeah yeah this is so one of the and not, not that i want to get sidetracked but every so often we're like you just shit on ari because he's your competition dude's a hundred <laughs> 50 kilometers away yeah, from me he is not at all my competition i just i find the guy distasteful because he's a huckster uh yeah absolutely nice people who have like bad geography knowledge of the island think that he's my competition is not true at all at this point i don't want to admit that i thought he was like a 10 minute drive away from you <laughs> yeah yeah no. dude in japanese jiu-jitsu he could kick your fucking <laughs> he absolutely could his groin strike yeah. game is on point yeah uh so yeah like what was so, uh like so obviously I'm, i can't give an example of another local school but like I try to give examples of the fact that like there are a lot of guys out there who know more than I do. There, are, When people ask me questions about certain positions, I'm like, here's what I think. Here's how I understand it conceptually, but I'm not good at it. I like I know it just enough to give you a tiny bit of information. But there are plenty of people who know more about this than I do. Yeah. And you have to do that. Like there's even uh, I intentionally put out uh, a post after uh, we brought Oliver Taza in for a seminar mm-hmm. where I kind of explained this. Was like, listen, a lot of instructors let their students believe that they're such a bad motherfucker. And it's because they roll with their students or they roll with like a couple of local guys who like legitimately aren't that good on a global level. Mm-hmm. That's horrible shit right like i want to see i want my students to see that just because they've trained with me only and they think that i'm king shit doesn't make it fucking so mm-hmm. like there are plenty of guys out there and i explain to people the distinction between like elite competitors and like i want to make sure all of my students even like the uninitiated ones know that like a purple belt world champion will fuck up most black belts including me especially in the gi Right, like not me, man. My turtle game is like legit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, turtle guard, you it, like to call it. It is yeah. a guard. Uh, it's technically not a guard. It, it's a guard. I'm gonna petition the IBJJF. I'm gonna create my own point scoring cult, like my own system, competing system. It will totally be a cult, and turtle will be the, the foundational guard. Yeah, you don't yeah. want to go to turtle. No, nah. <laughs> but yeah. So we, like, we we want we want to create a real perspective of like what your skills are as an instructor mm-hmm. who is better than you like n- never allowing your students to believe falsehoods about you yeah. is really important and, and not only that the the students and the staff at my club make fun of me because i'm a fucking weird guy and they it's should true. make fun of me it's true right like you know i've i put a bed in the back of my car and i sleep in the bed yeah. on the ferry because like yeah. i carry a pillow with me wherever i go it's, it's, it's like, I'm a strange person. Yeah, but that's because you're a... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I do have to say that, like, you know, Rob Rob showed up on our door today to record this. And if I didn't know who he was, just based on appearance alone, I probably would have called the police. So... <laughs> He wears flip-flops I, I, But I am wearing flip-flops. He's wearing like what appears to be pajamas and flip-flops. I, Those I, are cargo they're pants. cargo pants. What the oh, fuck? Oh, that's even worse. Yeah. Are you wearing uh, the pineapple shirt right now? I actually am. Ah, you yeah, are yeah, wearing, yeah, wearing the pineapple shirt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I wear like... Guess. So I wear like three shirts and they just get like cycled about. And then when one of them, like I uh, misplace it, that another shirt gets cycled in. Like I wear the same fucking pants six months out of the year. And then when it gets warmer, I wear the same shirt shorts 
six months out of the year. If people aren't making fun of me, something's rotten in the state of Denmark. So like, yeah, you drive the sickest cars. You can get. Well, that's part you of the. Got to save money. So, take money from one place to invest it in another, right? So I actually haven't gotten a haircut or shaved in like weeks because I knew I was going to test drive a fancy car this week, and I just want to look as homeless as possible. <laughs> when I walk into the dealership and make these guys who are like, "The fuck is this yeah, scrub? Exactly. Take me for a test drive." And I'll, yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Like I said, people make fun of me, and rightly so. Um, so but you encourage that. You absolutely. encourage an atmosphere I, where you can be made fun of, and you yeah. you embrace the fact that you you are uh, you know. I encourage an atmosphere where I am not an absolute authority. The, yeah. um, one and other people can teach you can teach can like teach certain things way better than you could. Absolutely, and, yeah. and a phrase that we use when we do intros for new students is we tell them that. If you ever get something wrong, if you ever don't understand something, it's always my fault. It's never your mm -hmm. fault. It's my job as an instructor to convey information in a way that you understand. If you don't understand, it means I need to explain it differently. It means I need to do a better job. I'm growing and learning as an instructor. I will get to know you as a student and be able to better suit your needs. It's my job to do so. It's never your job to fall into line with and, and not ask questions and be like, well, if I didn't get it, it must be my fault. Master's always right. He teaches conceptual jujitsu, you know, like that kind of shit, right? <laughs> yeah, basically you're demonstrating extreme ownership. You're saying, it, yeah. you know, it's, it's my role as an instructor to make sure that like not only am I going to give the information, but that the information is well received on the other end and it can exactly. be put to good use. Yeah, something that I learned a long time ago is that when you are communicating, it is always the responsibility of the communicator to make themselves heard. If I tell you something and it didn't get through and you didn't understand it, it is my job to make sure that it does. Like I need to make sure that I can package that information in a way, not only that is correct and useful, but is also engaging and makes you want to listen. You have to take ownership of the message you're trying to send. And as someone who, you know, has, has experience in this kind of stuff, I find that it can be a challenge as an instructor to admit that you don't have the answer for everything because you've got that all shouldn't be a challenge at no, all it shouldn't be but no. the thing is like you always want to help people right yeah. if someone asks you a question your mm -hmm. innate re reaction is i want to give you an answer and there's a lot of pressure to give but that's the answer. a self-aggrandizing exactly thought. exactly and it takes a lot for an instructor to basically admit it's like homie i don't know we got to figure that out together yeah, man. or i got to bring in someone who knows and, and to me that is the sign of a, a quality instructor is that they will just tell you i don't know let me get back to you or i don't know but this guy does. What you got to watch out, watch out for is the instructor who has an answer for everything. That is something I have learned is a problem. Like if your instructor can just field any question and they know all and like you can ask them anything and they can tell you right on the spot what to do, that's a problem. Because well, I mean, to be fair, if you're at a certain level and your instructor is good enough, they can answer any question you've got. But there's there's always going to be some situation, right? Like there's always going to be a Dep limit. It, no, man, it depends how often you ask questions. You know how many students like come through the door of an academy and literally never put their hand up and ask Yeah, that's that's kind like, of a different they're, thing. They're, they're, if we're talking percentages, if you're the guy who asks a lot of questions, yeah, there'll be a question that definitely your instructor can't answer. If you ask one question a month yeah, or one that's question a, little a year, different. there's no chance that a good black belt will not be able to answer all your questions. Yeah. And, and to be clear, I'm yeah. not talking about like the white belt who asks a question once a month and is like, how do I hip a scale? Yeah, I'm talking yeah, about like more specific stuff. Yeah. But like, I, I think it's important to draw distinctions because mm -hmm. again, people are so goddamn vulnerable to fallacious arguments that we don't want to cast too wide a net. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the other things, and this one is actually really important because 
you know, we talk about uh, like, you know, special knowledge and secret knowledge and stuff like that. I teach jujitsu in a very different way than probably 90, 95, maybe even 99% of jujitsu. Right? I don't know what the numbers are, but, and, and I'm, I'm in a bubble because Matt teaches some of the same ways that I teach. Obviously, my, guys I think it's teach, shifting though. It I is. Think more it's, people it's, are, it's definitely... absolutely, no, no, it is. But point being, like, for the majority of my career as an instructor, especially at the beginning, I taught in a way that was very different. That, same. like, you know, that, like, when you met me, I was probably the first guy that was, communicating in the way that I was. So there's definitely a potential for people to be like, yeah, but you know, at our gym, we learn conceptual jujitsu, so it's better. And I do believe that our method of teaching is better. Like I, I I don't, but I I can back that up with, uh, you know, examples, but the, the, the point I'm trying to get to is that I constantly, well, I shouldn't say constantly, like I frequently, or at least occasionally remind the people at my gym, my students, not to feel special or superior just because they're learning quote unquote conceptual jujitsu because they are prone to that. And I've actually gone through periods of time where I have to spend a fair bit of, um, energy just explaining to guys like, just because you come to Island Top Team and you're learning conceptual jiu-jitsu doesn't mean you're going to be better or have more success at jiu-jitsu because your work ethic is actually piss fucking poor. And mm-hmm. I hate that. I kind of hate that when somebody comes to my gym and they're like, whatever, I don't need to work that hard because I'm just going to be more technical. Yeah, compared to the other guys in town who suck, compared to people who aren't that good, of course, go to a couple tournaments. But then it still happens. Like there are guys at my gym who compete and do really well and they don't work very fucking hard. And I hate it because like they're not in great shape. They don't train that often. They go in and they do something that somebody else isn't prepared for. They're more technical. They're super hard to sweep because of fuck your jujitsu. They're passive. Like there there are skills that they have at certain belt levels that are far above what most practitioners have at their belt level. But as you keep going up, eventually everyone's good. Eventually, like it doesn't matter how you learn. Eventually, like you can go to a shitty club and if you just compete and you go and you uh, learn some stuff independently, like every elite competitor has good guard retention. Most schools don't work on guard retention at all. How do they get there? Well, they figure it out, right? If you're going to get really good, you'll figure it out. And so as you get to the top, regardless of whether you have a, you know, a conceptual approach or a traditional approach or a whatever approach, you're good. And the other guys are good. The fact that you've got some some extra knowledge about the concepts behind jujitsu might make you more effective as a teacher, but it won't necessarily at the end make you more effective as a grappler. And so having this sense of superiority that is, again, it's unearned. It's based on, well, I train at Island Top Team, so my jujitsu is better. No, fuck that. Your jujitsu is better because you put the work in. Mm -hmm. The guys who actually train a whole bunch and get good because they're in class often because they go out and they compete. That's why they're good. They're not good because we've got some magic approach. And I have to remind people of that because I don't ever want that to be the atmosphere at my club where it's just because we've got a different way of approaching the game mm-hmm. that you get this unearned superiority, this feeling of, of being better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of people who have, who focus on like efficiency, for example, they can use that as a crutch, I yeah. find. Um, because, and Matt, you and I were just talking about this a few episodes ago. Like, 
Like everyone wants to believe in their head that jujitsu is like 100% about technique and efficiency. And it sounds so appealing that, oh, if you, if your technique is good enough, you can defeat anyone. But it's like, look, that's not how it works. It's just a variable. Yeah. Tech, technique is an efficiency or a, they, they're like a multiplier, right? Yeah. But if you multiply anything by zero, it's still zero. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the example that I, I give a lot, for example, is like, I, I like to think that the way that I train and the way that I learn is extremely leveraged to be efficient. But I also have a box around how much time I'm willing to invest in training. And the reality is, no matter how good I am at being efficient, if I'm training a fraction of the time of um, like an elite level world competitor, they're going to school me every single time just because it, you know, like again, eight times zero is still zero, right? It doesn't matter how efficient you are at some point. Other factors come into play. Athleticism comes into yeah, play. Size, um, yeah, all of these things come into play. So um, although technique is a great and um and things like conceptual thinking are a great multiplier yeah. by themselves they're not enough and if you think that they are you're kind of falling into that trap of like secret techniques and secret wisdom totally which yeah. is why i bring it up exactly. like I, I because i know that in some ways even though i do all of these things to undercut my position there are still people who will, even they're like, yeah, well, you know, Rob's great and he, he does all these cool things to make it not a cult. And he's got this cool way of looking at jujitsu. And just because I train here, I'm better. And then, and, and then like all of these safeguards that I put in place all of a sudden fail because the safeguards aren't about me. They become about the person and their susceptibility to that kind of magical thinking. I, I think the, I mean, the thing is human beings are inherently tribal and I think left to their own devices, they will self-organize into cults. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yep. part of the reason why it's so much work to actively educate and fight this is because totally. we have multiple layers of our brain that have evolved over time, right? And at our base, we are social, tribal, and animals who are hungry for the attention and companionship of the people around us. And those needs can override the rational brain shockingly easy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so the, the last uh, element on my list, and I'm, I guess this isn't something that you could maybe universally apply as much as I have, but because I've received a fair bit of, you know, jujitsu media attention, I'm in a position to make... Well, you are frequently featured on one of the world's top Brazilian jiu-jitsu <laughs> conceptual podcasts. <laughs> uh, yeah, so because I get the chance to be interviewed by wonderful people like yourselves, I, uh, I get to make public statements. And so I intentionally... Oh, uh oh here we go. No, I, no, I just, I, I frequently make public statements. I'm so glad this isn't live. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I frequently make public statements because I know I will be held accountable by those public statements mm -hmm. in the future. Like I, I, the reason we're talking about all this cult stuff, the reason I'm giving you my list, the reason I will give any number of examples about things is I want to be held accountable in the future. Uh, and, you know, public statements can mean anything. It can mean you just giving a speech in front of the class. It can mean you, like whatever. Just It can be your social circle. So like I'm fortunate in that the p amount of people that will hold me accountable is greater because of my reach, mm -hmm. which I think is awesome. Uh, so yeah, like I... That's why I talk about this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, like there's a, there are any number of things that I have said, like, I think this practice is bullshit. I think that practice is mm -hmm. bullshit. And if I turn around and start doing it, people are going to call me on it. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that is one thing about social media that is kind of a positive is so much information is out there and easily findable that 
it is easy to hold people accountable now for their actions. Like if I did something shitty five years ago that contradicts my values, it's easy for people to call me out as a hypocrite. Now, that said, sometimes people exploit that as a, a crappy way to win arguments, but there is a level of transparency out there now that we have that we didn't have before. And yeah, I, I think that it mm -hmm. is important to, you know, I used to think that in, in a polite society, we try to avoid confrontation. And so, you know, you keep your mouth shut about sensitive issues, but I've kind of come to temper my... I clearly don't believe I that. Well, I, actually, you've kind of convinced me to the contrary now. I've kind of tempered my opinion now that it is important to be outspoken about what you believe in, but also just be respectful and reasoned about it, right? There's a, there's a difference between being a mouthy blowhard <laughs> versus being someone who can justify and stand behind their argument while still being respectful to the other party and treating them compassionately. Yeah, right? I think something that is important to, to note about that is that, yeah, I, I'm a, I am a mouthy blowhard. I do speak a lot. Oh, you're my uh, favorite. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, like I, I, I tend to take pretty, um, pretty outspoken stances on certain things, especially certain things in our community. But like I said, I've got good friends that are part of Gracie Baja. I've got really good, you know, in my personal life, I'm not particularly disposed to religious thinking. I think it's kind of silly. I've got very good friends that are deeply religious and we can have respectful, intelligent conversations. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I think the fact that I will discuss what most people perceive to be difficult topics, mm -hmm. uh, th it's because I can discuss difficult topics without it being an identity issue for me. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a binary it, us first yeah, type it, thing. Not, not at all. It, it's like I can talk about pretty much anything because I actually am super open to having my mind changed. I've changed my mind on a lot of really important issues uh, throughout my life because I've been open to talking to somebody who believes something differently because I've been open to uh, garnering new information and acting based on it. So yeah, I, I think that speaking uh, to people about things and standing up for what you believe in, as long as you are not doctrinaire and dogmatic about it, uh, I, I don't think that's really a problem. Yeah. I think you always, I think that there is, is super important to approach every discussion with the willingness to be proven wrong. Like so many people, they go into a discussion because they have something they want to say. Yeah. But I think critical thinking is not about trying to convince the other person that you're right. It is about being open to the fact that you might be wrong. And that's one of the reasons why cults and cultish organizations are dangerous is because they take that away from you. Well, that's what the, my, one of my favorite sort of moments ever is uh, there's a debate between a creationist named Kent Hovind and I believe it was Bill Nye, the science guy. And the, the closing statement for the the debate was the the moderator asked them you know what would it take to convince you that what would it take to change your or like how, yeah could you change your mind what would it take to change your mind evidence. and ken hovind said nothing and bill like, and i well, said why are we evidence. here <laughs> well, yeah, wasn't it ken ham might have been ken ham ken yeah ham, you yeah. know you're right it is ken ham I've not watched that. yeah 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 exactly yeah. this is a strategy actually <laughs> a that one. i've i've started to employ recently rather than just wasting my time which is if I need to convince someone of something and I believe I'm right, I'll just ask them like, what, what would it take realistically? Yeah. Because let's not even waste time here. If I can't convince you of it, then I can't convince you of it. I'm not going to bother laying out this big, complicated, rational argument if you're not open to it. Yeah. So that's just the way it is. Got to decide when a, a, a debate or a conversation is actually, there's a possibility of it being productive. Exactly. Yeah. If yeah. the person you're talking to is even willing to listen. Yeah. 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 I think, I think, uh, unfortunately, 
a lot of people are unable to actually listen. Like you said, when they go into a conversation, they're more interested in being heard. Yeah. And before uh, it's even their turn to talk, their turn to talk, they're already now thinking, thinking about, about what their they're going to say. To yeah. rather than taking in new ideas, they're thinking, okay, yeah. how can I go on the offensive right now? Yeah. Like while while you're talking, I'm not listening to what you're saying. I'm just waiting for yeah. my turn to speak. <laughs> That's a big big problem, and everybody does it. Like it's not a, a huge sin. It's just part of human nature. But you have to be become aware of that and learn to fight against it because that's part of how critical thinking gets shut down. I wish that was pushed more in high school and post-secondary schools. Like yeah. the, actually the art of listening and, and taking in new ideas as opposed to just making your ideas the, the thing that is the exactly. front and center. And well, that stuff is actually done quite a bit in the sciences, mm -hmm. like in the, in the STEM fields. Like you're not going to get very far in any science field if you don't know how to deal with proof and with falsification. But I wish and there I, were I wish actually there was... like critical thinking and communications courses specifically for this. Cause that, yeah, of course. And I would, I would argue that uh, it might even be more valuable for kids at the high school level because mm -hmm. everyone's, well, the majority of kids are going to go through the public high school system. Yeah. You know, you could argue that the majority of kids aren't going to go to STEM once they're done. Mm -hmm. No, no, actually, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I feel like totally. it would be it would be more valuable. It definitely <laughs> almost, would be. almost as an indoctrination yeah. to have that attitude when you're young and you're learning how to approach a different opinion as opposed to, oh, how can I already? How can I? How can I prove you wrong? How can I, you know, mm -hmm. go on the offensive? Well, I think a really important thing uh, to kind of mention about this, like, you know, if we look at our societies, the ones that have become like successful free societies, the hallmark of a successful free society is the amount of uh, like educated participants mm -hmm. in that democracy, right? Like, yeah. the, and, their, and their level of participation. Right, level of participation. So the more educated people are, like if, if, if you're only trying to educate people on your side of things and believing that people need to only hear your side of things, then that's a huge problem. Like you, mm -hmm. and, and which, I mean, that'll get us into a different discussion of like this, like fallacy of like all sides deserve merit. Like no creationists don't get to teach anything in school, right? Like that's not how it works. Like, but as far as like teaching people how to think critically so that they can actually evaluate information and not having the process of education be politicized for, for any side, is extremely important. And I think that that's an area where societies, you know, at least Western societies didn't used to have a problem and now they do, mm -hmm. especially over the last, you know, 20, 30 years. Yeah. There's been a huge politicization of education and people are getting information that is extremely biased and extremely um, restricted and, and helping create these sorts of bubbles. Definitely. So. Yeah. I, I think that there is definitely a, a wedge in the, in the education sector. Yeah. Uh, I think that that, that is actually a big problem because I think that education is no longer, uh, especially university is no longer really a, an open forum for critical thought and controversial ideas. It is now, it, unfortunately too much about conformity. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, that's something that I think is really really a bad trend. Like I wish that one of the things that I were taught in school, Matt, to your point, I wish I had been taught more about critical thought, communications, finance, stuff, stuff like that, like emotional intelligence. I mean, th that's what I wish I had been taught. And if you're denying people that you're really denying them the things that are ultimately going to help them grow. But don't you think that maybe there would be re uh, reasons for 
the government to not want you to have those tools because if they can get you to conform and they can essentially have you believe a certain way, you're more easily controlled, don't you think? It's hard to say if that was, if that's, I mean, you're right. Well, yeah, but that's, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to, the like, question like, is, was let's, it intentional? Let's be honest. That's why certain political parties have been cutting funding to education in certain countries. Mm -hmm. like yeah. That, because it makes their voter base moronic and that those political parties are good at exploiting morons. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. So yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. So on, on the topic of cults, yeah. like really, I think that when you're engaging or dealing with people who are into the stuff, like I think you have to come at it from an educated and also a compassionate standpoint. I mean, if you have to understand that these cultists are, for lack of a better term, they are inherently biased towards their organization. They're going to be defensive uh, to threats against their organization. Yep. So you have to kind of come at them indirectly and from a place of love, like rather than directly yeah. telling them that all of their ideas are garbage. I think the I most think important word in that continuum was compassion. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right? Having compassion for somebody who is obviously not starting out with bad intentions mm -hmm. and who has fallen down a rabbit hole. Like all you can do is yeah. be like, Hey man, I love you. You're a friend. You're a, a family member. You're a co-worker like whatever the case may yeah. be you're somebody that i know is like you know maybe you you're vulnerable to this for whatever reason whatever you're going through we're on board for helping you out whatever you need you don't have to use this organization you don't have to de like derive your identity from these things from these ideas you know you have ideas that are maybe ridiculous right now but you're going to come around because that's the kind of human being you are as long as we keep supporting you now did, did i ever tell you about the time i got recruited into a cult What's that one called? The Debula? Oh, he, okay. So, so uh, oh, I'll there's another one. No, 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 no. You, you got it right. Okay. So when I was a kid, um, I, I had a friend who, I remember you were like getting like they, they almost interviewed you no, or something. And, but that, I, I was super young at the time. So I just, I really didn't even get it. It was like at, at the time, Is it like Freemasonics. Okay. So here's, here's what happened. So when I was a kid, I had a friend who one day asked me, Hey, Steve, you want to be part of a club? And you know, being a socially awkward, desperate for friendship kid, I said, sure, I'd love to be part of your club. So he said, okay, come here at the, you know, come here at this time. So mom and dad drive me to this weird building. I don't, I still don't know what the fuck I'm doing or where I am. I'm just there because my friend is there and I go into, I go into this room. It's like a little tiny broom closet and there's like three other weirdos in there. Um, and my friend's there. And they say, okay, put on these blindfolds. And I'm thinking, okay. I, like, at, at this point, I think this is, well, at this point, I'm like, I think this is a joke. I don't really know. But like, I trust my friend, right? So I put on the blindfold. And then they kind of push me and prod me into this room. I, I can't see a fucking thing. I have no idea where I am. And then I hear this voice of this stranger. I have no idea who this is. Um, but And they start asking me, like, are you an honorable person? I'm like, yeah, sure. Um, and then they start asking me if I believe in their organization and I'm willing to like follow their organization. And, like, <laughs> and I hear all, I hear all of yes. these other people and I, and they're all like, yes. And so I'm, I'm like, well, at this point, I'm not entirely sure if it's a joke or not. And I don't want to make things awkward for my friends. So I just go, yeah. Were mom and dad not there at this point? Well, this is what happens. So I go, well, well, yes. And then they make you recite this oath. And then afterwards, they take off your blindfold. And there's like, you're in a room with like 50 people. And they're all clapping, clapping, clapping. Because you did such a great job getting initiated. And my mom and dad are sitting in the fucking audience watching. So this creates a tremendous amount of like, first of all, if you want to walk through all of the stages of a cult, that was the act of dominion, right? As they yeah. humiliate you publicly. And then they put you in a situation where it's socially awkward to leave. Yeah. So they've, I guess, I guess independently, they might, they 
I presume, had told mom and dad what this group was. They sure as fuck didn't tell me. Um, so they, I guess they upsold my mom and dad on how great this group was for youth development. So now I gave this oath of loyalty and honor in front of this group of 50 people plus my parents. So I'm basically bound to this. So now from here, and I, I found out afterwards, so this group is called Demolay. Basically, it's, some, Demolay. it's like the kids' wing of the Freemasons. Um, I, the, in terms of like cult evilness, they're not evil, really, as far as I can tell. They're like a social group that tries to help people, but they sure employ cultish tactics. Yeah. So now for the next several months, I want to get out of this thing, but I feel so freaking socially awkward about doing it because I've made this commitment. My parents were there. I did this for my buddy. So how the hell do I leave? And so they've got me going God, to these mom like... mom and dad did that? Yeah. Jesus Christ. So they got me going to... The, well, I hear get, about it on Sunday. So they got me going <laughs> to these like fundraisers and stuff to help raise money for them and doing all of this stuff. And after like a few months, I told mom and dad like, I can't do this. And so eventually I had to call like the cult master or whatever, some, free, some Freemason guy and say like, I can't do this. And that was the end of it. But it's just like, it's an example of how without even like knowing what you're getting into, you can get dragged into this shit, right? I mean, it's not, a lot of people don't say one day, hey, I want to be a Scientologist, <laughs> you know, but just they, they kind of get pulled into this unwittingly in a lot of cases. And once you've been put in a social situation where you've been dominated publicly in front of your loved ones in some cases, it gets it's very hard because of the cognitive dissonance to back out, especially if you're like 12 years old. So For I sure, yeah. So I think it is incredibly shitty to run an organization like this that targets children, yeah. which is what they do, right? So, uh, but yeah, that, that's kind of how that kind of stuff can build up is it's not that people go into these things thinking, man, I want to be a cultist. Yeah, like <laughs> So it just I, happens over time. My experience with this stuff is I was gifted uh, attendance to the Landmark Forum. This mm -hmm. is like 20 years ago. So like mm -hmm. it's going back a ways because I was like the, the girl I was with at the time, somebody that she knew was heavily into it. And so they're like, hey, we're, we're going to send you guys. And again, it was sold as a like a self-improvement, like Tony Robbins type thing. Uh, and so when we went through the course and at the end of it, and again, I don't remember if it was 50 people or whatever. I was the only person in the room that didn't sign up for more courses. Mm -hmm. Now, I would like to say that that's because I'm such a fucking you know, genius, independent thinker. But realistically, it's probably just because I didn't have the money at the time. Or like, <laughs> yeah. whatever, like who knows? Uh, and I was talking to my friends about how like, great this course was because they actually do, again, like they teach really useful stuff. Mm -hmm. um, well, and that's I was the talking thing about, about a lot of cults is well, they're not devoid of value. They, obviously, many, many of them exactly will give you something was of value. Something very valuable. And so there was some valuable stuff that I learned there. And I was talking to my friends about it. And I know a good friend of mine was like, hey, man, just FYI. You know, these, this place is like back then, I don't think they were using some of the same tactics they use now, mm -hmm. but he was like, they're still on like the borderline of cult watch. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, the, there's an organization called cult watch that like studies this stuff and uh, categorizes like, they're not a cult, but they're pretty borderline. And, uh, like talking to my friend and having my friend like be like, Hey, look, like, I know you think this is cool. And again, we talked about approaching something with compassion, not being like, you fucking idiot. You got suckered in by a cult, mm -hmm. but like, Hey man, you know, it was very um, gentle with me and it really helped me see it more for what it was and allowed me to not be drawn in any further. And so, yeah, I think it's really important how this sort of stuff is approached uh, as far as if, like, if you want to be effective with it and you actually care about the person who's being affected, then you, you have to take that gentle kind of soft hands approach. Yeah. Sorry, go on, Matt. I have to piss. Oh, God, again. Okay, go for it. Every episode, like fucking clockwork. Um, but yeah, the, the reality is that when people get pulled into these things, usually they're 
kind of embarrassed it happened. And that's when cognitive dissonance comes into play. And it's easy to start justifying why you did this and trying to defend yourself. And then if if your loved ones start confronting you and calling you an idiot for doing this, it's only going to push you to the other side of the fence. Yeah, totally. Like it's even like, because I considered that organization to be like, again, I I didn't know how far it had gone, but it's not something that I would want to talk about because it's not something I'm happy happened. Although in a sense, like I'm happy it happened because... It was an experience that I learned from. And again, like I'm doing, like I'm basically following my checklist of like, hey, let's make a public statement about this because it is something that could be construed as embarrassing. Mm-hmm. So let's put it out there because somebody can learn from it. Uh, and you know, when you speak on uh, a topic from experience, I think it has more validity than exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. And these organizations like Demolay and Landmark and stuff, the thing that, again, that makes them tricky is, Probably by most objective measures, they're really good for the people in them, right? Yeah, they, like, yeah absolutely. Um, so yeah. It's, like I said, there were some very useful things, and I wish that you could learn some of these things about uh, like self-improvement, self-awareness, like uh, communication, personal interaction. I wish you could learn some of that stuff without the culty nonsense mm-hmm. because these are things that make people more effective human beings. Yeah, I mean, I really believe that if your product is good, you should not need to break down people I and agree. build them back up and I agree. publicly humiliate them and continually escalate membership requirements and ask for more money and time and ask for them to go and recruit their friends. Like an ethical business with a quality product should not need to adopt those practices. Matt, how was the piss? So much better. Awesome. Uh, I heard ethics. Yeah, yeah. I This is off the rails now, but the good news is I think that we covered everything. Unless you guys want to talk about anything else related to cults? No, I don't think so. I, I would like to take this as an opportunity to make a public statement to the Porsche Corporation to stop trying to upsell people who are buying their cars. <laughs> yes, and, I want a car with wheels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, would, I would like the ventilated seats without having to pay extra. Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> Well, I, oh, I hope such that... a common problem. <laughs> <laughs> we we can all relate. We've all gone to buy that Porsche yeah. and been frustrated to find out that the wheels God are extra. Yeah. <laughs> I love these like elitist problems of Rob. You know, he, he hits 500 online subs in his online academy, and now he's like living like the high life. He's like Warren Buffett. <laughs> Actually, Warren Buffett lives like just like a poor person. Apparently, he's very very. Conservative. So does Rob, except he has really nice cars. <laughs> It's, it's so true. Like, if you came to my house, you'd be like, Jesus Christ, Rob, like, buy some fucking furniture. I, I had a piece of furniture. Like, I, I got a new bed. And the guys who delivered it, they're like, they took a look at my couch. They're like, you know, we, we haul away trash. If you, uh, if you want, we can take this couch away for 40 bucks. I'm like, no, fuck you. I'm keeping it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Yeah. yeah so, that, so that's what Matt and I have to deal with, by the way. Um, yeah, so I, I hope that this was a, a helpful lesson for everyone involved here. Um, I think that it's an important topic for people in the martial arts community because, again, as we've mentioned, a lot of people don't go out of their way to create cults. Their organizations just wind up adopting these strategies because they work. And a lot of people don't wind up seeking to join cults. It just kind of happens unwittingly or over time. And because they're not familiar with these strategies. So I, I hope that now that you understand how these groups work and why they're dangerous, um, hopefully if you are running an organization that adopts some of these strategies, you stop doing so. And hopefully 
if you're a person who is in one of these situations, hopefully this has at least brought some awareness to you that you may be getting exploited and you need to start considering other options and how to get out. Yeah. yeah. And if you are being exploited, just remember that Matt and Steve and I, we love you and we support you. <laughs> And hey, we we actually we actually do like we get we get a yeah. I mean, I'm 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 being facetious when I say we love you because that's obviously a loaded word. But literally, like we feel for you, and we want to put this information into the public domain for that reason. Yeah, if you ever if you have a situation that kind of falls into this bucket and you need some help, yeah, do feel free to reach out to us. Our contact info is on our website. We actually get a lot of questions that kind of fall into this bucket. I mean, Matt. Yeah, and I like in the in the podcast that we did on. Business ethics. I, I mentioned for people to reach out to me if they are uh, if, if they're interested in advice on on uh, the process of starting their own gym and not mm-hmm. falling prey to some of these uh, these culty tactics. And I've actually had quite a few people reach out, whether it's over Instagram or uh, you know email or whatever, uh, where I've uh, it, it's interesting. Like when the episode first came out. No, like that week, no one emailed me. I was like, well, I guess nobody listens to these two idiots. And then like two or three weeks later, all of a sudden now it's like basically every week I get an email from somebody who is looking to start a club and asking for advice. So I just, I, I take the time out to, to answer them and I'll do the same for anybody who's like, if you are feeling like, Hey, maybe I'm doing some culty shit with my club. How do I backtrack on it? Man, hit me up. I'm happy to help. And if you're somebody who's training, I mean, if you're training at a culty jujitsu club, it's fucking easy. Leave, go train somewhere else. Like that's not hard. It's actually not always that easy. No, when I say easy, I mean, in the sense of like the compared to being a guy who's got a gym that you're you're employing culty practice and now you got to walk it back. Yeah. That's That's a difficult thing to do. Mm -hmm. Leaving a gym is easy. Yes. Theoretically. Obviously, the social pressure and all that kind of stuff is difficult. So, again, if you if you want to talk about it and you want to you know you want to leave a shitty club, hit any one of us up. If you want to, uh, I will gladly tell you advice. to leave your shitty club. Yeah. Um, but no, actually, sometimes a lot of people don't understand or they're not totally sure if their the warning bells going off in their head are justified or not. If you are in one of those situations, and we, we yeah, because you get gaslit a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah, when you train at these places, right? So yeah, yeah. and it's it's hard to know for like a, a new person who's never done martial arts before. It's hard to know is this normal? Because people watch all of these Hollywood movies of these like you know these loyal samurai that all you know they train and they live and they die together, and then maybe that's what they expect when they go to a martial arts gym. So sometimes you see things in a gym that's incredibly culty behavior, and I think people just maybe expect that that's how things are supposed to work. Um, But if you ever have one of those questions and you have kind of experienced some of these red flags we've discussed here and you want a sounding board, do just reach out to us and we'd be happy to share our feedback. And how can the folks at home reach you, Rob? Oh, uh, well, I am on Instagram at Island Top Team. Uh, I believe we were uh, discuss the requirements. If you're going to DM me, it's got to be a dick pic and it's got to be a big one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh God, what if people actually like believe me? You're totally yeah, going to get dick pics. Yeah. And I hope you do. I yeah. hope that's all you get going forward. Right. So uh, anyway, uh, you can reach me there. Uh, not the best way to have discussion. So anyone that has messaged me, I've just uh, ended up making it an email discussion, but you can... Um, I won't give out my personal email, uh, but if you email info at islandtopteam.com, which is my um, academy email, my manager will let me know, and uh, I will definitely get back to you. Cool. And I've heard a rumor that you run an online academy. 
Yeah, it's, it's the rumors are spreading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. BJJconcepts.net is my online academy. We recently went through a immense growth spurt. Um, and what happened right before that growth spurt kicked off? Did you participate on any podcast or forum that I might was have actually on this podcast? Yeah, uh, it's saying it's it's absolutely one of the reasons that more people have have heard of the uh, the online academy and something that's really cool. And I won't mention any names because obviously I I, I'm, I believe in discretion and privacy uh, like very very highly. Um, but some people that I whose whose names I know of in the jiu-jitsu community, instructors that I respect highly, have actually um, been you, like viewing my stuff, uh, and that feels fucking awesome. So thank you to all the black belts out there who have actually taken the time to subscribe to BJJ Concepts and um, and show support. And obviously thank you to all the brown belts and purple belts and blue belts and white belts and everybody who has supported this endeavor because it literally is like it it feels like i won the lottery when i started this online academy it's just it's something that people bugged me to do that i thought would be a little project that a handful of people who maybe saw me through my work with stefan kesting were gonna get and it became like an absolutely huge project and i'm super motivated to make it as good as possible. I mean, I'm always motivated to make anything I do with jujitsu as good as possible, but like if anything, I'm just that much more motivated because of the response that we've had and um, all the success that we've had at BJJ Concepts and at Island Top Team, I try to pass on to others. So anytime I'm on this podcast or any other, I do try to mention our visiting student program which is basically a week of free training and accommodations. One of the reasons I have that shitty couch in my kitchen is because you're going to sleep on it. Is because, well, no, it's because I, I, I like, I, I want to have as much room to host people in yeah. my home. So anyone who wants to come and train at Island Top Team for a week, you can do so for free. You can stay at my place for free. I have a spare bedrooms. I've got three couches. Uh, you know, we host people from all over the world all the time, although that may change with the current pandemic that's going about. But, uh, uh, yeah, until, um, well, that's what the online academy is for. Yeah, right? exactly. Uh, but yeah, so I all this, this success and support that I've received from the community, I do try to pay forward. So if you ever want to visit uh, my academy, just hit me up and let me know. We'll find a spot for you. Yeah. So if you want to learn how to use the taint as a lever, yes. this is the way to do it. Reach out to us. You can visit. Uh, it's more of a fulcrum, I guess. <laughs> I think it is. Yeah, yeah it is. The way that it I describe it, I describe yeah. it as like the taint is the fulcrum between the genitals and the anus. That's basically what it is. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if you want to learn more about genitals and fulcrums, uh, and you don't want to pay, uh, all you got to do is get yourself a plane ticket to Nanaimo. Although, please let me know you're showing up because I may not have room for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just uh, have you ever had anyone just show up on your doorstep and be like i'm here for the program without telling you no no i uh man when we first announced the program i did have a guy message me and he was like hey i want to take advantage of your visiting student program i'm like cool well you know when, when would you like to visit he's like well i'd like to move to nanaimo and just like live train with, for free forever. train for free <laughs> and, and you know if i could stay at your place and also by the way um could you pay for my ticket because uh, I don't I don't want to like uh, like work for the man so I refuse to get a job and I was like Jesus fucking Christ all right dude um, that'll be a no for me dog that's yeah. uh, not surprising actually yeah 
Okay, so I guess we should do our plugs too. Um, as always, if you want to learn more about the concepts that we talk about here on the show, of course, a lot of these are derived from Rob's Academy, so you can definitely go there and you should at least check it out. Uh, our website is bjjmentalmodels.com. If you want to support the show, you can go to bjjmentalmodels.com slash store, pick up gi patches and t-shirts. If you want to join our mailing list and get more details on what we talk about here on the show, you can go to bjjmentalmodels.com slash join. And if you want to follow our updates on social media we post regularly on instagram and on facebook rob thanks again so much for all of your Should time we today. include the email to porsche so they can we can start this campaign <laughs> to get more things as standard on the 9-11 no okay <laughs> you can you can do it if you want man i don't know no, if you're gonna have i don't it. actually know it yeah no, it's all good all right well thanks a lot guys matt i think you gotta run to train right yeah i gotta go teach class see uh, you guys peace out take care